When someone asks you what you do, mm-hmm. what is it you say? Oh, for like a random person, I'd be like, yeah, I'm a yeah, yeah. bike racer, like a long distance bike racer. Like I cross the country uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> racing. Because then people are like, really? Whoa. They love it. They're like 4,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And then they start imagining that distance. Usually they say something like, I can't drive that far in my car. Yeah, my butt hurts after that long. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. I'm your host. I am Ted King. I am on the mend. Our spring in California was throwing a little bit of a detour when I took took an unexpected trip to the ground. I broke my collarbone along the way. But two days later, I had a plate and uh, I believe nine screws installed. And so now I'm well on my way to recovery just about now one week post-accident. It is not my first rodeo. It is not my first collarbone broken. So I know this routine. Oh, those pesky collarbones. Thank you all very much for the kind notes, the comments, the texts that you've sent along the way. They do truly mean so much to me to hear that outpouring of support. So thank you. And as I go about trying to seek positivity in an otherwise less than stellar scenario, I'm thrilled to have today's guest on the show. Arguably the happiest, most upbeat person you're going to meet on a bike, not to mention an absolute living legend of her profession. Ladies and gentlemen, Lael Wilcox is our guest today. I love the byline that you're going to somehow see near her name. The best female ultra endurance cyclist in the world. And depending on the day, Depending on the event, just hands down the best ultra endurance cyclist in the world, male or female. Lael is a ripper. Lael is a conversationalist. Lael and I caught up for this recent podcast. And if you find yourself hankering for more once this hour is complete, I encourage you to zip over to my YouTube channel. Just visit the old YouTube, type in Ted King Cycling or something like that. And you'll find a recent video that I did with Lael as well as our chief engineer, Jan Heine, from our shared tire sponsor, Renee Harris. That was a video that we hosted for Rooted Vermont, the August 1st, 2021 gravel event hosted by my wife, Laura, our friend Kristen, and myself. And the three of us, the aforementioned Jan, Leo, and I, have a blast catching up, talking tech, talking tires, talking packing, talking all of it. That was one of the three webinar events hosted for Rooted, so please check those out. Anyway, I'm going to leave it at that for the sake of the entertainment to follow here. My friends, welcome Lael Wilcox to the show. So, uh... Moab. You're in Moab, eh? Yeah, yeah, we're in Moab. We got here a couple days ago just riding here with a couple friends. Uh-huh. And it's fun. Something different. Uh yeah. I rode here on the Cocopelli Trail, but I've never ridden trails around here. Yep. You know, and it's like riding on Mars. <laughs> That's the rumor. Never been. <laughs> I hear it's it I mean the place is Mecca for mountain biking. What what bikes are you guys on? Uh full suspension mountain bikes. Sweet. So that's the thing to do. Yeah, definitely dropper post land. Yeah. You know, you it's just in? all drop-offs. Yeah. 
just until I, I get too scared. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I'm like, uh-huh. no, not that one. That's hilarious. Did you yeah. ride in from Tucson? No, we drove. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's getting hot in Tucson. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. But we drove and then we'll be here and then spend a few days in Flagstaff and then uh, leaving Arizona pretty soon. It's just getting too hot. Yeah. And everybody, everywhere else is getting nice. So, huh? Uh huh. So, good, good jump off point then. Let's, let's talk high level. There's, there's beginning to be fudged lines between without a pandemic and, and the light at the end of this pandemic tunnel. Let's just <laughs> mm-hmm. hypothetically say without a pandemic, how do you go about choosing a schedule? Oh, without. Then that's way more fun because people are like, hey, I'm hosting this race. You want to yeah. come? I'm like, yeah. yeah, that sounds fun. You know, like Badlands race in Spain or racing in the UK, especially like the international stuff. I'm like, then it's like I get to see a new country, new terrain, new bike packing culture, you know, and then the people who are hosting it are so excited to have people riding their route. Yeah. So that's what I would like ideally be doing. And then I'm like, okay, where's, you know, if I'm going to Europe, what else can I do while I'm there? Because it's yeah. not going to all be racing because it's too exhausting. So then I'm like, oh, we could ride this route while we're there or that could ride to the start of the race or whatever so that would be like the ideal and then this year it's more like well those are the dream races but then if we can't do them what actually can we definitely do Uh so then i have like some solid like you know you could ride time trials on like any route pretty much in the u.s anyway yeah 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 yeah. so yeah we recently did a a webinar and so we caught up at that point, you were in Tucson um, to our yes. uninformed listener. What have you been up to? You know, we're recording late April right now. What have the past, let's say, four months? I mean, since the new year, where have you been? Oh, yeah. Uh, almost only in Tucson. Uh-huh. Uh, not a lot of travel. I was going to do a race around Rwanda, and then it just seemed like travel just wasn't safe enough. So I had to cancel and I was bombed, but yep. it's okay. But yeah, mostly... Yeah, yeah. Mostly in Tucson, I'm thinking, and then I'm like trying to think, where's that time gone? You know, yeah. but I'm working on like some other, like I'm just wrapping up a women's Alaska women's scholarship this week. So I'm super pumped on that. So it's like, you know, mostly I like sit in front of the computer and I'm like thinking so hard. And then I'm just like, when I get to go for a bike ride, I just feel so good. I'm like, yeah. oh, here's the good yeah. part of the day, you know, like that's like, I'm always looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, mostly in Arizona. Um, and is that is that time you I mean, is it considered training? Is it an escape from an Alaskan winter? Is it mm-hmm. catching up with friends, all of the above? Yeah, all of it. I try to skip the winter now. Yeah. Uh if I can ride in shorts <laughs> and a t shirt every day, I'm like, Yes, this yeah. is the best. Uh-huh. You know? And then if I wake up and I'm like, I wanna go for a ride, like the first thing I think about is just going up Mount Lemon. Yeah. Because I'm like from my door it's like fifteen miles to the base. And then, you know, that ride, it just never gets old. Mm-hmm. It's like just this amazing climb. It's always hard. It's always beautiful. So, Have you been snowed on up there? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> and it could just be like outrageous. Up, I always bring a down jacket like every time. I say good only because, yeah, I've ridden lemon, I don't know, fewer than a dozen times and probably a third of them. You know, you leave Tucson and everything's great and you get to the top and you're like, Oh gosh, that's rolling in. Oh, that's rolling in quick. And it's just dumping snow. And then you're like dreading the descent. Yeah. It's so cold. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so then I mean you hit it on it just a second ago. I think there is the perception that for those of us who are 
riding bikes as a profession, but maybe not on a team per se. Mm-hmm. There's the perception that it's just riding bikes all day, every day. And that sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. And there's no disagreement <laughs> that our lives are pretty fun. But you hit it on, hit on it that there's a tremendous amount of time behind a computer. Right. Well, that's for the people who want to share. Like Ted, like you're doing, you're like creating media, sharing stories. Because I don't know if you're like me, it's like you feel like you want to share this. You want other people to get out there. Okay. And that's like another way to like work with different sponsors or different people. But then you're like, well, that better not eat too much into my bike riding time. Yeah. Cause then I'm like resenting <laughs> it. I'm like, I want to ride my bike. That's uh-huh. why I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. So, Do you have, yeah. what, what does your team, team, so to speak, look like? Like, are you, are you your own logistical coordinator? Are you your own, uh, what is it called? The person who's buying tickets, travel agent? Uh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But that's all, always a mix too, because then I have my girlfriend, Rue, who's like shooting all the photos, doing all the media. So yeah. then we just talk about stuff like, oh, what should we do? You know, there's this race. How do you want to capture that? Uh, and then it's like, well, it's, if a sponsor's involved with the race or they just like the story, it's like in their country or in their area, it's like, well, maybe we'll collaborate with them. Or sponsors are like, hey, you want to come do this? We're sponsoring it. And I'm like, that's the best because then yeah. it's like, it's not my project. I'm like, yeah, of course I want to go like ride this great route, you know? Yeah. And then you have some support with that too. I mean, what do you do usually? Um, mixed bag. So I've... I've worked for many uh, the past handful of years with Ansel Dickey, who is a friend who he's a former pro bike racer. He gave, he he hung up his his race wheels at you know the age of twenty one or twenty two, and he came to me and he said, "Hey, I want to create these videos." And at that point, cool. I'm just like, "Gosh, I mean, I don't I don't have the bandwidth to do it." He he was tenacious enough so that I was compelled to do it. And then he just blew me away with the the level of quality and the especially the storytelling because because yeah. having been a bike racer, he he got it and he got what people wanted to see. Um his it certainly helped launch his career. And so mm-hmm. he's just this sort of media producing marvel right now. Um anytime I can get his bandwidth, I I absolutely do. Cool. So I've also started trying to figure out my own video editing so that I can do smaller projects on my own. I mean, it's funny, like Laura and I just did a three-week trip with with our daughter Hazel down to cool. the Carolinas. And I'm like, man, the video that I created from that three-week trip probably took me more than three weeks to create. So I, oh I don't have the proficiency just yet. So, well, that's awesome. You did it. You probably learned a ton too. That's oh gosh, hard. Yeah. It's pretty I'm wild. Like, I look at that, I'm like, no way. So how about, is, is Rue doing full production? Is she doing the storytelling? She has been. Yeah, she's been doing everything, which is, we've realized is just too much because it's so intense. And especially like for the quality that she wants, like it's just so much time behind the screen. And then I'm like, I'm off to the next trip and I'm like, Rue, I want you to come with me. And then she's like, she can't because she has to be behind the screen. So then this year we are changing the model where she'll shoot and then send it to somebody else to edit. Mm-hmm. which I think is great because she actually loves the shooting part. Yeah. The editing is like kind of painstaking. You know, the, the final product's great, but to get there is just so much tedious work. So, so this year we're trying that out instead and we'll collaborate with GCN Plus and Rafa on yep. a few videos. So nice. I hope that's better. I hope that's less like computer time suck, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's fast. That part is fascinating. I did one GCN plus video. Cancel cool. was my, my <laughs> videographer. And yeah, there's just a crazy level of trust that, okay, here you go. Here's the. How did it work out? It, it <laughs> blew us away how well it turned out because the shoot itself was, it was like the beginning of the second lockdown. Yeah. We were in Vermont in November. The weather was just atrocious. It was cold. It was miserable. And, you know, they're directing it from the UK and they're picturing yeah. like fall foliage in New England. And we're like, no, this is dead in New England. And it came out spectacularly well. So, That's I mean, everybody awesome. involved was like, this is great. Yeah, they've got, they've got an impressive team over at GCN. That's cool. I mean, that's the coolest thing, though. It's like you're like, what's going to happen with this? And then yeah. they come, and then you get to like see something uh-huh. instead of being involved with like every step. Sure, bingo. Um, okay, so this is a funny preface, and I, I mean this in the most endearing way because I'm trying to figure out the definition as it pertains to me too. I mean, sort of saying this <laughs> this professional cyclist, but without a team. Let's pretend right. you're stuck on an elevator. Let's pretend you're going up like. A hundred flights of stairs. I mean, a hundred floors rather. So, so you have two or three minutes. When someone asks you what you do, mm-hmm. what is it you say? Oh, for like a random person, I'd be like, yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah. bike racer, like a long distance bike racer. Like I cross the country uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> racing. Because then people are like, really? Whoa, they love yeah. it. They're like 4,000 miles. And then they start imagining that distance. Usually they say something like, I can't drive that far in my car. Yeah, my butt hurts after that long. Yeah, <laughs> I hear that. But yeah, because then like, then they start thinking, well, and especially the self-supported part. Uh-huh. So I'm like, you have to find places to sleep, food, water along the way, take care of your bike. And yeah. then, you know, I mean, mostly they're just like, what do you eat? <laughs> That's what they want to know about. <laughs> Not That's like, amazing. what do you see? Yeah. You know, what do you eat? That's yep. like, that's so human though. Sure. You're like, well, quite frankly, everything because <laughs> yeah. I'm afforded that luxury. Whatever I can find. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's pretty much. And especially for bike packing. I mean, this is incredible because this is such a dirtbag sport. Like no entry <laughs> fee, no qualifications, no prize money, no help. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, how could you be a professional bike packer? Yeah. You know, like that seems like. And I mean, when I was started doing this, I was like, that's, it's impossible. You could never yeah. be a professional. There's no money. And there really isn't that much money, but they're like, now brands are like, oh yeah, we love that adventure stuff. We want to help you do it instead of working at a pizza place. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's great. Cause pizza place is fine, but then I don't get to ride my bike, you know? So, yeah. uh, it's changed, but it's all about like storytelling, you know, and then you reach so many more people too. Because they're yeah. like, they don't have to race. They don't have to like compete on a high level. They just want to ride their bike. And you're like, uh-huh. yeah, you should. Well, right. I think it, it, it compels people to go ride their bike and race their bike much more so than the Tour de France does. I mean, that's just sort of spectacular right. scenery amongst people with 3% body fat. Well, um, and then also Tour de France is like, why is that successful? Because they have media. Bingo. I mean, it's all about media, like all the racing anyway. You know, if people were just like reading text about a race, they might not be that into it. Yep. So how, like talk to me about your entry into this bike packing profession. From One, how did you get into bike packing and bike riding and bike <laughs> racing? Because I know you've only been doing that relatively recently in your life. Yeah, totally. So yeah, yeah so I just there. started riding to commute to and from work. I was 20. I was in college. I got a job at a brewery 
I was nice. like, oh, it's four miles away. I better get a bike because uh-huh. uh, I didn't drive. And then I was realized, oh, I have this bike. I could ride all over town. Then I, I was in Tacoma, Washington. I was like, I could visit my sister in Seattle. And at that time I had like a fixed gear. I was like, and it was by far the longest ride I'd ever imagined, you know, 45 uh-huh. miles. Uh-huh. But then during that ride, I was like, if I could ride to the next town, I could ride across the country. And I'd yeah. never heard of anybody doing it, but I was like, that would be such a cool way to see the U.S. You know, it's like a childhood kind of dream. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did like two months later. No uh, kidding. Oh, yeah. you jumped straight into it. Yeah, because I was like, this would be so cool. And I was graduating college. I was like, you know, I could carry what I need. It seems so romantic. You're like, uh-huh. you have a tent, you ride 50 miles a day, and then you don't know where you're going to sleep, but day to day you make progress and then you just see it all. Yeah. You know, so that's how I started. And then I, I think within a few years, I was doing that. I was like riding and then stopping to work at restaurants to save money for the next ride, more or less. Huh. Uh And then I was like, you realize, oh, on like main roads or even secondary roads, it's only so interesting. So that's when I started riding more dirt because it takes you to like more interesting places. The riding's different. And then I was like, oh, you could do this like mountain biking or in other countries and see other places and get to know them. And it's not expensive. I mean, beyond like plane tickets and then paying for food. You're like, well, if I can camp for free, this is like pretty much the cheapest lifestyle I could have. Yeah, And I just thought that was so cool. I was like, this is incredible. And then I was like traveling like this. And then I was riding a route that a race was happening on like a bike packing race. And I was like, well, that'd be kind of wild. And then I entered the race and and then realized that I was actually good at it. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I never thought biking was like a sport. Yeah. You know, you don't grow up in the U.S. thinking that really, unless you live in like really special places for it. Mm -hmm. So. Well, yeah, it's certainly the age in which we live where, I mean, it, it's the gig economy, right? I mean, like you figured out this gig that works that, that did not work, did not exist mm. a decade ago. Yeah, decade totally. Plus. And you can be creative with your dreams now. Uh-huh. You don't yeah. have to like follow, even for bike racing seems like so different, but you like don't have to follow a race series. You're like, I actually want to go ride, you know, in Mexico or Kyrgyzstan yeah. and then like make something out of that. And then people in those countries are riding bikes too, you know, so... It's a Brilliant. cool sport for that. So international. How about, so you, you talked about getting into cycling while you were at school, where mm-hmm. you went to University of Puget Sound, is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you, what'd you study? Did you finish school? Yeah, chemistry and French. Okay. <laughs> like, that, like I do anything with that now. Yeah, but I yeah, liked yeah. it at the time. I thought it was like, I was like, oh, this is really fun to study. Uh-huh. But then I graduated and then I just started riding my bike and then I never stopped. Yeah. What did you study? Uh, I studied economics and math. Um, I was a math major for three quarters of my collegiate career until my GPA started plummeting in those 400 level math classes. And yeah. so then I, I, I migrated to econ, which turned out to be a little bit easier. So I was glad to graduate at that point. Um, and sort of slightly same thing. I mean, I went, I got into cycling in college, mm-hmm. uh, certainly on a, Call it traditional American road racing. Cool direction. Um, thing. I had an older brother who got me into the sport, and yeah, just cool. it was that. It was a great mix of academics and athletics, and being disciplined and still being you know focused on getting through college with a passing grade. Yeah, oh, um, stressful. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so how about 
the that derivation is 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 large enough to go from chemistry to French to what you're doing now, hanging out in Moab <laughs> riding your bike. It, I'm well hypotheticals prepared. are kind of ridiculous at times, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What on earth do you suppose you'd be doing if you didn't oh, work yeah. at that brewery and start riding a bike? Good one. No idea. Yeah. You know, I actually, I don't know. I mean, at one point I thought I'd go to medical school, uh-huh. which would have been super cool. Um, but then I'm like, I think about it and I really like, I'm happiest when I'm outside, you know? And then if I'm not outside, I'm like looking out the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I, I hope somehow I would have gotten on a track just to be outside, even if it's not with a bike. Yeah doing something else. You know, I had a, I was hanging out with a friend recently and she like went to school. Her major was like outdoor recreation. And I was like, oh, good one. You yeah. know, when I was like, can You're I like, even I think that. like you could do something like that? And then she yeah. like worked for Knowles for like a decade, like taught outdoor classes at Prescott College. This is Kate Boyle. And I was like, nice. man, yeah, yeah. what a cool idea. Like that just you know, like a regular childhood, you're just not exposed to that kind of stuff. You know, you don't realize you could do that. You're like, oh, I'm supposed to be like a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I'm like a bike rider, you yeah. know? So then I'm like, I love talking with kids because it's like, you tell them what you do, what they could possibly do. And maybe they don't want to be like an ultra distance bike racer, but they think, oh, I could do something different than mm-hmm. the stuff that's like right ahead of me. You yeah. Know? Oh, big time. That's, that's awesome. That's a launch point for for two questions that I wanted to ask. What was your foundation on growing up at home? Where, and I asked this thinking my grandfather, who's you know he was I had old grandparents. <laughs> There's nothing fathomable in his mind about making a career out of bike racing. Oh yeah. So you know he's like traditional <laughs> businessman, and that's where presumably that I was going to go. What was your what was your home life like? I mean, you talked about sister, you know, you grew up in Alaska. What's yeah. what's going on there? Yeah, my parents are super supportive. I have two sisters and a brother and none of them are athletes even. You know, it's like we all had our different things that we liked and my parents were like just do the thing you really like. Yeah. But I played like basketball and soccer. <laughs> And that's in Alaska. You're like, that's outrageous. Why? You know, we just played like indoor the whole time. Like first in like gymnasium, like basketball courts, we played like indoor soccer with like these soccer balls that are basically like a giant tennis ball, you know, because you had to have something different. I loved it though. I loved sports. I always loved sports. I ran too, uh, but my parents were cool about it. They, I think when I first started like adventure riding, they're like, my mom just kept asking me when I was going to go to medical school. And then she stopped like maybe three, four years later. (laughs) Uh, I think the racing kind of uh, worries them a bit because it's so intense. Like I've ridden myself to the emergency room, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's really like high risk, scary. Like you're pushing yourself so hard, but at the same time too, they're like huge fans of it because they're like so excited even to be like watching my dot. Because right? I mean, it's so cool to see. It's like, wow! You're like, you're like they they made progress. What a funny race! Yeah, but the, it's it's just like this. You're like, there's somebody out there doing that all day and night. You know, uh-huh. to our uninformed audience, the dot is when you're watching each rider's GPS tracker on a computer screen, <laughs> riding you know thousands thousands of miles. So the scale is so small. You see, they've moved a centimeter, and people at home are just over the moon sending. <laughs> I can't think of anything more boring and it's so cool the level of involvement from family and friends and 
I you know, know. isn't that amazing? They're like, yeah. oh yeah, it's like routine. Like they go to bed, they check. They wake up, they check. They're yeah. like, wow, she just rode hundred miles overnight <laughs> <laughs> while I was sleeping. Bingo! Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and then you hit on it a second ago when you're talking about interacting with kids and sort of giving them this this crazy pie in the sky idea of like, hey, you can go ride a bike, you can do anything. Yeah. Talk to me about Lail Rides Alaska. And some of the other initiatives that you have going back in your home state and elsewhere. Yeah, totally. So I did a project where I rode all the major roads in Alaska because I grew up there. And then when you look at a map, there aren't that many. It's like a total of like 5,000 miles maybe. Mm -hmm. And then I like when I first got into distance riding, I like set this goal. I was like, someday I'm going to ride them all. And then the summer of 2017, I was like, well, I have an open summer. I'll just do it now. And yeah. I went back and forth, worked at a bike shop in between to like pay for the next trip. Uh, and it was so fun. But I went by myself. I got my first camera, took a few photos, but I didn't have much from the trip. So I always thought I'd love to go back with Rue. We could document this better. We mm-hmm. could both ride and then make a video about it. So we yeah. did that. Um, and then a couple times as an offshoot of that project, I set out this uh, Alaska scholarship. So it's the idea is that a woman would design a thousand mile bike adventure in Alaska. Tell me where she wants to go, how she's going to do it, what time she has blocked out in the summer to make it happen, who she is, why she wants to, and then send me an application. And then I'd go through that and select a winner to get uh, a bike, bike packing bags, camping equipment, and everything else that she needs to like make the trip happen. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I did that in 2018 uh, successfully, and then I posted another one this year that I'm just finishing up. Um, But it's so cool. It's like like the first time it was the age range was from 14 years old to 76. You know, so it's like women with all these different like stories from their lives, all these different dreams in different places from different places around the world. You know, so for me, I'm like, and they all want to ride a thousand miles in Alaska. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's hard. That's That's like a really hard thing for anyone to do, Uh you know, but that's so cool. It's like you start seeing people like dreaming, like I I could do that. This is how I'm going to do it. They do all this research, Mm -hmm. like finding, and then the stuff they find, I'm like, I've never even heard of that, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> but so it's really cool. cool. So uh, I don't know. That's so it's like, cause the thing is too, it's like we get to do all this cool stuff. And then it's like, it's not just enough to like make a video about it. It's like, you want somebody else to do it their way, you know, or, or to like believe that they could do it, you know? So that's like why I do the scholarships because also for me, it's super inspiring to read how other people like their approach. Cause it's so different than mine. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll just sleep on the side of the road, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's been cool. I also run a girls program up there called Anchorage Grit. Yep. yep, yep, yep. So that's 12 and 13 year old girls. We ride together for six weeks to build up for a, to a 60 mile three day bike adventure. Nice. Uh, and that's so that, that's really like, though, that's like, I wish I could have done something like that as a kid. Like, right. I didn't know people rode bikes or, you know, went on overnights or any of that stuff. And, like, when you're 12, you'd love to do that, like, with a group of your friends. Right. You know, and, like, take on this big challenge, like, pack all your snacks and go do it. You know, it's uh-huh. like a kid's dream. Yeah. Uh, so, I've done that for three years. And then, hopefully, I'll start one in Tucson, too, this fall. Nice. And that'll be fun. Different place. Desert version. That's brilliant. I mean, both of those are examples of 
just breaking out of your status quo. Like, mm-hmm. as a kid, to go ride 60-mile, three-day bikepacking trip, that's almost equivalent as a adult. I mean, I recognize you said 14 to 76 age range. But yeah. figuring out the logistics to go do a 1,000-mile self-supported trip across Alaska. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what I think the, the bike is all about right now. It's about doing something different that isn't just your normal status quo. Yeah. And people want that. They're like, they want a challenge. Even if it's going to be hard, they just want to do something different. They want like that freedom, you Mm -hmm. know, to be out there. And also it's none of it's racing, Mm -hmm. you know, because like we have enough pressure to like achieve so many things in our lives. Like biking could just be like a fun outlet for people. It could still be hard, but they don't have to feel like they have to enter a race or an event. They can make their own trip happen. You know, that's shouldn't be that foreign, but it's like, it it is like outside of the normal bike culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think what I love about the avenue of gravel and the facet of gravel Mm -hmm. and cycling is that it is, and from my perspective, especially coming from traditional road racing, it's, it's hands down the most welcoming community it's it's you know basically what i always say is like no one's going to watch a criterium and say i'm going to go do a criterium a couple people (laughs) will do that but it's just you watch a crash and you're like that's the most dangerous thing i've ever seen yeah or you're not going to see a grand fondo and think i want to go do a grand fondo whereas gravel does seem to be that magnifying force gravitating force that could bring in so many more people who aren't just hell-bent on racing totally I mean, so, it's also the challenge. I mean, think about yeah. how many people are riding Unbound. Mm-hmm. How many people want to ride 200 miles? Right. That's awesome. That's hard. Yeah. You know, exactly. and then you're like, that's so cool. And, but for them, it's like, it's totally personal. They're like, they're not looking at their finishing time. They just want to finish. Bingo. You know, so I think if we can like encourage more of that kind of stuff, the, all the better, mm-hmm. you know, because there are, I mean, how many people are actually going to want to road race? I think it's super cool and I love like every kind of racing, but it's also like, that's unique, you know, Mm -hmm. like most people don't want the pressure of racing. They don't want to like put themselves in a place where, you know, you're thinking about your results. They just want to pedal. So completely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So then as you gaze into your crystal ball (laughs) and looking at, you know, with your experience, especially in the, on the uh, bike packing side and seeing, you know, a boom there and a bit of experience in gravel. There still is a leap of faith to, to get into bikepacking, right? I mean, right. it's not as simple as saying, I'm going to go ride 20 miles around my neighborhood. It's, right. it's a commitment. There's a lot more equipment. There's a lot of more, you know, going on in your head, the planning <laughs> reasons X, Y, and Z. Right. There's also no hindrance. And we sort of live in this age of I shouldn't say there's no hindrance. We live in the age of adventure and everything we're saying is like promoting all of these things. Do you, what, do you, what do you see happening in bikepacking? I mean, you're, you're much more in tune with the community and races than I am. Are more races popping up left, right, and center? Or? Oh, yes. Yeah. For racing everywhere. Yeah. Like I get like messages from people around the world that are like, I'm starting this race. This is the route. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if they have photos of it, they share that with me too. And then you're like dreaming of going these places. It's, I think a lot of it too has to do with uh, like these route building platforms like Commute, yeah. where it's like, it's easier to design a route that's not just on the main road. 
we have like GPS that we can follow. So we can follow somebody's like treasure hunt, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's so cool. That's new too. Like within the last five, 10 years, this stuff has just improved so much. You know, before that, it's like people were navigating with paper maps with like a bike computer that's like after 0.8 miles, take a right. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. that's like, it's so <laughs> much harder, both for racing and for like adventure. It's just harder to do, yeah. you know, to like rely on that. So that's changed things a lot. And, and then also with that, like route sharing, it's like, hey, this is where I went. Come ride it, you know, or, or people can find it. And then like they don't have to do all of the hard work. And I, it's fun to ride other people's routes, yeah, you know, because they like crafted it for a specific reason, hopefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless they're like, their kind of riding is something that I really, they're like, they just like to bushwhack, yeah. you know, and that's not my jam. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I think that stuff's changing a lot. I like the, the like races going on everywhere. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you wrote the Arkansas High Country. Yep, yep, uh, yep, yep. Does that make you want to do more bikepacking races? Absolutely. With yeah, I mean I was I was so humbled by the experience by the race. It made me completely want to do more of them. Um my my hands are still a little bit tingly, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there are there are physical things that I need to figure out and overcome. And I mean I just had a pretty aggressive race position. I said, "Oh, I'll just throw some bags on my bike and, and get yeah. after it. Um, and I shouldn't say it was that lackadaisical laissez-faire because I, like, I dove into every piece of minutia I could in terms of planning yeah. and packing. Uh-huh. I listened to plenty of podcasts with you. I listened to plenty of podcasts with plenty of experienced people recognizing, yeah, I'm going to probably dabble with some uh, sensation issues and hands, toes, and elsewhere. Yeah. So... The short answer is yes. Like I, I, I loved the experience enough that I want to get get after it more. So, what are your what are some of your favorites? Oh, races. Yeah. Uh, or I mean, not purely like, races, events, races, or rides. events or, or routes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, because they all kind of go into that. Um, the Hope One Thousand. I'll race again this year. That's in Switzerland. Thousand nice. uh, k um, and hundred thousand feet of climbing. In the Swiss Alps. So it's so beautiful, like all the time. And like it goes through these famous, like tourist locations like Grindelwald and Interlaken, but then also takes these like back roads between them. Yeah. You know, so you feel like you're in this, like, like you're looking at the Eiger and then you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. You're like, wow. My friend put together this route. Uh, and he's like lived in Switzerland his whole life. He guided like 20 weeks of mountain bike camps, like point to point. So he's like ridden everything. Yeah. So then like he makes this masterpiece of a route, you know, and I've raced it once and it's so hard. God, you're just like, I'm going to die. But it's also <laughs> so beautiful that it's like, and it's Switzerland. So there's like fresh water everywhere, you yeah. know, good food everywhere, bakeries. So that stuff's all good. You're just like, mm-hmm. okay, all I have to do is like really hard riding, yep. which is kind of nice for, like these races in Europe, it's like there's just so much more like like food is just easier to get and it's better. So that's mm-hmm. kind of nice. And nice. I like the, you know, I like the culture of the European bikepackers because they're like not used to camping, really. Like that's like a new concept for a lot of them. So they're like, that's like what's putting them more to their limit is not the bike riding, but the idea of like sleeping outside. 
Huh. You know, so it's kind of cool. Like this culture is like people are like facing their fears in so many different ways. And it's yeah. not always the same thing. It's like people are scared of navigating or camping or, or in the U.S. or Alaska, they're scared of bears, you know. Yeah. So it's like it's always something different. But then they go do it anyway, you know, and have an adventure. Yeah. Um, that That's a good one. Uh, I, of course, I still want the record on the Tour Divide. Uh, but a great route. Such a such a beautiful route. Um, and well. Yeah. Dive into that one real quick because what? Because of the time of year, weather is a huge component, adversary, uh, something to contend with, right? Yeah, and the elevation too. Yeah. So the route is mostly between like five and almost 12,000 feet uh, through the Rockies. So then it's like weather could come in. It's like there could be snowpack from the winter or mm. it's just so long that you can't like see, you can't predict the weather, you know, in 10 days. So it yeah. could change. Uh, and the window's short for when you could ride it. It's basically like June to September, more or less, like for a fast effort. Otherwise, it's kind of too temp- temperamental. How does it work with, because the FKT is the FKT, whether you do it as a as exactly. part of the Grand Depart or on your own as a time trial. Right. Would one of those make you go faster than the other for you personally? Not necessarily. It's more about like having a clean run, you know, so yeah. no bad weather, no bad mechanicals, no bad fi- wildfires that make you detour because then it doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, and then this year, the real challenge or for the past year is that the Canadian borders closed. Bingo. And it starts in Banff. So it's the first like 300 miles are in Canada and you can't ride that right now. So you can't go after the record yeah. until it opens. So I'm like, well, maybe in August it'll be open and I can do it. Yeah. Uh, if not, we'll see it. That's always one of those, I think with all this stuff, it's like, well, I guess we'll just see if it'll work out. I mean, similar, like with the Colorado trail, you know, it's like 500 miles, but most of it's like, a, at like above 10,000 feet. Yeah. You're like, well, that's really iffy. Like if you get con- good conditions, but then if you do, you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I got it. You know? Man. So I, what races are you looking at? Anything? Uh, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was considering Tour Divide. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm as uneducated in it as as possible. I've started collecting the websites and perusing it, and and uh, you you hit on it. I mean, bears are a consideration. Are, how much are bears a consideration, or is that just not a much. rookie? No, for that, not too bad. Like around Banff, you could see bears, but the rest of it's pretty good. It's actually not that complicated, though. The whole route, it's like so, nice, wait, wide don't, open don't jump away dirt from the roads. Bears just yet. You could just do it. You should just do it but, when the Canadian border opens, because like basically you're like, okay, this is where I'm going to get food. Uh-huh. And that's all you need to know. And then, like, I'll be like, okay, I'm probably going to climb like three mountain passes today. That's yeah. like the, you just like, I feel like that's what really like punctuates the route are the passes. Uh-huh. You're like this one and then this one. They all look distinctly different. Yeah. And that's like the beauty of it, too. Okay. And, and not to get hung up on the bears, but when you say they're not much of an issue, you might see them. I'm not worried about seeing them, I'm worried about them being interested in me. Do you race with, do you ride with bear spray? I, not usually. Okay. But that's also, I mean, it, Alaska, it's like you see lots and lots of bears. Yeah. Uh, sometimes if like Rue really wants me to carry bear spray, I will. Yeah. Like for, there's a mountain bike race up there, the Kenai 250, and you always see bears. Yeah. 
uh, just in, I guess it depends where you're riding because it's like if you're above treeline, you can see so much farther that you, yeah. you'll see them coming. You know, if you're like in the, the woods and there are bears, that's a little spookier, yeah. you know, because you can't see them. So, sure. but I don't usually ride. I, it is the best bear protection, bear spray. Yeah. But uh, so many people I know have like crashed and sprayed themselves. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just awful. So I don't know. Oh, I don't mean to laugh. That's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Like so many stories of that. And then they're like, you're out there. So what are you going to do to like, like yeah. try to squeeze your water bottle in your eyes to get it out? You know yeah. what I mean? Like oh, it's not delicious. a good situation. Okay. Uh, what is it? TNGA, Trans North Georgia. Oh yeah. That one, that one piques my interest. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I mean, I'm a... I shouldn't say a custom because I'm not much of a bike packer. The distance of that, I want to say, is like 350 miles. So I'm like, ah, that's simple. Easy. But yeah, <laughs> it's anything but. It's like your ratio of, what, six, do you say 600K and 100,000 feet of climbing or 1,000K and 100,000 feet? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Trans North Georgia is probably similar to that, right? Yeah. It's tons of climbing. I've ridden like 200 miles of the route. Nice. It's you know, I struggle with the stuff in the east because it's all in the woods. Yep. You know, and like you feel like you're just always in the woods. Uh-huh. Like you never, I, I didn't realize like how much I love like these big open views. I believe that. And that. in the night, it's so dark. Uh-huh. I mean, that Arkansas race, it must have been so dark. It was. And yeah, we did it. The race was uh, Halloween weekend. So it was, it was cool. It was dark early. Um, yeah, all sorts of considerations, which I mean, that what I tell people from my short experience is like, just go do it. And I realize that's a big leap of faith, but like even beginning with like credit card camping, pack a backpack or frame bag and go to a hotel a far distance away. Oh, absolutely. And then and, get good rest. Yeah. yeah. But then you get to go farther from home, Uh huh. you know, and then see something new and that's fun. Yeah, I, I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, 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 you can dive so deeply into being meticulous. Oh. And I think that can be helpful. Um, but yeah, basically, folks, just go, just go do it. You're going to have a blast. So you're obviously very talented. You are, you are fast. You are fit. You are, at this point, extremely experienced. You can, like I was saying, you can dive down any number of rabbit holes in terms of overanalyzing anything from hardware to software to beta to mapping to packing. Right. The question is how across the spectrum, how meticulous are you if you're going to go after an event? Not. Not? Nice. <laughs> Not really. But you know, like the, my favorite thing to do is pre-ride the route if I can. Okay. Because then I guess the thing is you don't have to do the research because you do it on, on the route. Mm. And you get this cool ride, you know, and you get to see a place without like riding through all the nights. Yep. You know, you get to like just experience it, especially like the more international stuff. Cause I'm like, I'm never going to go. I probably will never go back to that country, like yeah. Colombia or something like that. Like maybe I will, but I, if I'm going to fly that far away, I want to spend like five weeks here at least. So then I could go ride the route at a touring pace. I could go with Rue. That way she gets to see it. And then I come back, like I take a few days off and then I race it, you know, and then I get to do both and I don't miss out on like the fun touring stuff. 
that's you know, so I guess that's like preparation. But mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, like looking at maps, like I'll make myself like notes of like, okay, if there's a stretch that doesn't have water, then I'll figure that out or, you know, know where the food spots are mm-hmm. and like, oh, are they going to be open when I get there? Possibly, mm-hmm. you know, like what are the hours for that? But that's about it. Otherwise, I'm like, whatever. Because the thing is, you also can't make like long-term plans because like stuff changes. Like maybe I'll think, okay, I want to try to get to this spot for the first night. And that's what I have in mind. And hopefully I make it there, but I'm not going to make a plan for like night number two or three because, you know, like what if you have a mechanical or whatever that could happen? You know, it's like that was just like time kind of wasted like planning it out yeah um you know i I know the averages i kind of want to hit daily but even with that you're like well when you're tired you gotta sleep you know and you might be beating yourself up for not like achieving that place and it's not that important sure so i don't know if it's a skill or a talent or something you just become accustomed to well accomplished bike packers do very well on very little sleep. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you do something, let's call it quote short, that is five days long the Arkansas high country where yeah, I'm I'm chronically tired. Yeah. And so by the end I'm pretty exhausted. I didn't get to the point that I I could consciously say I'm making bad decisions because I'm sleep deprived. Uh-huh. But I like that was something that Rebecca Rush for example said, make sure you're making good decisions. You don't want to make a dangerous or dumb decision because you're exhausted. Mhm. My understanding is that you do pretty well on little sleep. Talk to me about that. Is it something you've practiced? Is it something you just are inherently good at? Something else? I mean, I try I I feel like people are really pushing it to like, they don't sleep for like two nights, sleep the third night, don't sleep for another two nights. I'm like, oh, that's sick. That like, that makes me feel sick thinking about like, I'll sleep like, like for the tour divide, like four hours a night. Okay. Which is not a lot, but it's enough where I feel pretty good. Uh You know, I'm like, I don't feel great, but I feel okay. And the thing with that too is like, the fastest time is just under two weeks. Yep. So then you're like, you, you can't get yourself in too deep of a hole or you'll just feel horrible, you right. know, like five days later. Yep. I guess the thing is like, if I know a race is only five days long, then I don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, two hours of sleep here, four yeah. hours of sleep there. Like I don't stress out. Like I don't feel like I have to have, be strategic, but mm-hmm. something that's longer than five days, I'm like, I should definitely try to sleep like four hours a night because mm-hmm. otherwise I'll just... And then you end up riding slower, Yeah, you know? I mean, I don't think anybody's come up with like the magic number, but you know, you're like time on the bike versus speed. What's going to get you there faster. Sometimes like you do have to cut sleep. That's just part of it. Cause like you also have to take care of your other needs in the day. So that takes up time too. But, uh, I think four hours is good for me pretty much unless it's shorter. And then I'm like, Oh, well, I'll just see what happens. I'll deal with it. But yeah, it's it's terrible. It's terrible for your brain. I mean, oh, that's God, probably yeah. the most unhealthy part of this whole sport is just uh-huh. not sleeping. You know, couldn't agree more. Right? We live in this age that they scientists, sports phys- sports physiologists, etc. They all realize that that like sleep is this magic potion. 
It's so it, basic and yeah. so simple, but that's what you need more than anything. Right. Are you, uh, I mean, you're having fun in Moab. Are you like, are you an eight hours a night person, 10 hours a night person, six hours a night under normal circumstances? I really like go with daylight. Yeah. Yeah. Like if there's more daylight, I just have more energy, especially like in Alaska in the summer, it's light all night. You feel like you could just yeah. stay out forever. <laughs> and then in the winter you're like hibernating, uh-huh. you know? So that seems like that's what kind of more than anything affects my energy. It's like yeah. the amount of daylight and, and for racing is great too. If it's still light, you never feel tired, yep. you know, yep. but then like that hour after sunset, you're like, Ugh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just want to go to bed and you're like, it's eight o'clock. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can do both. I feel like I used to not sleep that much in the past because I'd be like working full, you know, like double shifts at a restaurant and then I'd be like, well, now I have to ride my bike, you yeah. know, but I sleep, I sleep more now than ever, which is great. I think it's so much healthier. Oh, completely. Know? Yeah. I think guaranteed my, it is. <laughs> my thing is I just don't want to miss out on anything. So I'll like yeah. stay up. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, like you said, take a race like Tour Divide. You're talking about doing 200 miles a day, 20 hours of riding for two mm-hmm. straight weeks. And so like I, I say this to our dear listener, go ride your bike 200 miles today or tomorrow and then do it the next day and then do it the next day. And somewhere in those two or three days, think about it in the afternoon. Like what is going on in your head for those that time? Because I think, especially to non-cyclists, there's the perception that when you watch a bike race, like a Tour de France bike race, that is nonstop action. And it's like, no, the reality is, you know, the first two hours are hard and then maybe it simmers down quite a bit and then there's a finale. You can't speed up or slow down time. So you're out there for an extraordinary, extraordinarily high amount of time. Yeah, you see everything. And what's going on in your head? Are you? Oh my gosh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Especially in a sleep deprived state. You're like, where yeah, does yeah, your yeah. brain go? <laughs> you know? Are I'm you like doing thinking about my childhood. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, oh yeah. yeah, I remember when this happened. Or you're just like <laughs> reflecting on all sorts of weird stuff because then, like, at that point, like biking becomes like breathing. So you're just riding and then you're like, oh yeah, I'm riding. Yeah. And you get like so connected to your bike too because you spend so much time on it. Like you have like different sensations and like, that's kind of cool. Uh-huh. It's weird though, especially because you're also alone most of the time, you know, you're like alone for like 10 hours Big and you're time. like, oh, yeah. now I'm going to interact with the woman at the convenience store. Uh-huh. That's my big social time for the day. <laughs> yeah. And they mostly can't fathom what <laughs> you're doing. so funny. Uh, but it's cool. You see everything, you know, it's like, when do you like ride through multiple states, like yeah. ride through a state in a few days? And like see every pass along the way, you know, uh-huh. like that's cool. It's just, and, and if you ride in the night, you see all the animals too, Yeah, you know? So it's, it's like, yeah, it's a weird thing to do. You couldn't do it all year round, but it's like, you have like these really cool experiences. How about like jump inside your psyche? Are you, uh, in talking to you and listening to any other uh, interview with you, you're a very optimistic, happy person. Do you question yourself when you're racing? Do you? Oh my gosh, I I used to. Yeah. But then you're like, that's such a huge waste of time because it doesn't change anything. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, oh, I'm not doing well enough. And then like two hours later, okay, I'm still here. You Uh know, it's like just by like (laughs) berating yourself for not riding fast enough. It's like, that's, I don't know, you're going to 
I think I ride my best when I feel my best, you yeah. know? So then, uh, yeah. Trying to like stop the negative thoughts because everybody has their lows. That's it. You're like, I feel so bad right now and I'm riding terribly. Then like an hour later, you're fine. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think the the negative stuff is not going to help. So I just try to like get out of it yeah. if I can, but the pain's real. Yeah. That's for sure. You know, yeah. I mean, accurate. What? Yeah, yeah. Hands and feet and everything else. You're like, oh, I feel bad. Yeah. But it, that also passes, which is amazing. Uh-huh. Like you don't feel bad for every hour. You know. Oh, here's a here's a good one based on the we talked about a quote short event at five days or so, and then a two weeker, <laughs> and now talking about hands and feet. I didn't realize how bad my hands were until a couple days later, like after the event was over, that's when it really started to manifest itself. Yeah. If you're doing a two week race, do you start losing sensation after a week or so after 10 days? I would have like these two fingers, like ring finger and middle finger would go numb. Yep. Uh, or pinky too. Sometimes yep, like yep, the yep. tips of my fingers would go numb. I mean, the, the crazy thing, like the skin on my palms all comes off. Oh, or like you get this crazy itching sensation, like your palms just itch like crazy. So then I would be sleeping and then realize like I'm rubbing them together like oh, fiendishly yeah. in my sleep. <laughs> you know, like that's so weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're like, this is this is not the romantic part of the race. <laughs> right. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, so strange. My thumbnail, my right thumbnail fell off Whoa. from shifting so much. Holy cow. Yeah. That's that was Yeah, I raced the Tour Divide twice in the same summer and yeah. then rode to the start twice. And then my right thumbnail fell off from like trigger shifter. Now I have electronic shifting. It's way better. Yeah, yeah, you yep, know, because yep. like you think that's the thing is like electronic shifting saves your hands. Like hydraulic disc brakes saves your hands. Like all this yep. stuff like that people are like, that stuff's not reliable. You're like, well, it's more reliable than my body is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. You know, it's yep. like, well, I don't know. That's well, crazy. yeah, reliability. I've thought about that with electronic stuff, and I like I've all the confidence in the world because if you go in with a well-tuned bike, you're doing a whatever thousand-mile ride, twenty-five hundred-mile ride, two-week ride. It's not like you're taking your bike to the end of the earth for six months. It's like yeah, exactly. It's like just for that limited time. Yeah, yeah, and the, I mean the bigger thing is like how do you keep stuff charged? Yeah. You know, and then it's like, well, especially if you like don't stay at hotels because mm-hmm. you don't have a wall outlet, yeah, you know, can yeah, you yeah. like get enough power from your dynamo lighting to charge all your stuff uh-huh. with like these massive bricks of power banks? You know, it's like that's like the kind of the game, yeah. you know, the the shifting will keep working. Like, but yeah, yeah, it's a weird game, like figuring out how you're, yeah, because it's like you're riding like for the trans am i was riding like i i would ride like three and a half days before my shifting at the time with the battery would be totally drained like eight eight hundred miles you know and most people don't think about they're not going to ride that without charging it right right, but that was like what would consume my mind like what am i going to charge this yeah you know like weird stuff but i think the more i can streamline stuff the the less i stress out you know, but yeah, I don't know. These things are, are really good solutions. Electronic shifting is great for endurance riding mm-hmm. just for your hands. Cause you're like trying to save your hands. Yeah. Yep. Do, I mean, I have a thousand questions about 
just the nuances of bike packing, which we don't need to get into right now. <laughs> yeah. If you're going out for a bike ride tomorrow, is that yes. a different position than you're going to be in if you go do a, a multi-day race? I mean, I'm always like, well, what's the equipment that's going to suit me for that specific ride? Yeah. If I can like make that happen, you know, because yeah. like tomorrow I'm riding the White Room Trail. Sweet. So that's a hundred miles. Never ridden it before. Yeah. Super pumped. I've been wanting to ride this for like 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it won't be that different, but I know I don't need stuff for an overnight. So no sleeping bag because right. I'm just going to do it in a day and come back. So then I'm like, oh, that's nice. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is like food and water pretty much. That's Does it. your position then, like, stay about the same? Well, like do you, do you tweak your handlebars or stem or, or anything like that? Yeah, not really. Uh, I mean, like I found now for, because of all this riding that my hands are like kind of dying, that drop bars are better yeah. uh, in general. And I always like for longer stuff, as long as it's not too steep, I'll have an arrow bar too, which is great. Yeah. Um, but I don't change too much. Wicked. I, yeah. 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 It's just, I mean, that's the nice thing too, is like, I actually don't enjoy like the preparation that much. I actually just want to be in the middle of the ride. Yeah. So then if it's longer then you know, you prepare basically just as long for a two day ride as you do for a two week ride. So I'm like, well, I get more out of this one, but the long stuff is, it's, it's hard, mentally hard. You're like, you never feel close to the end. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Well, hopefully I see you at some start line sometime in uh, 2021 yeah. or, or the near future. Do you future. have anything big planned? <sighs> um, I mean, I'm, right now we're seeing events pop up on a gravel calendar. So currently my longest one is 200 miles in Kansas in early June um, cool. unbound. So, What about the XL? Well, I'm excited about finishing the... I need to, I want to finish my fifth DK unbound because then I'm joining the thousand mile club and then I'll start doing stuff like, okay, let's, yeah, what's a, what's a cool 350 mile ride? I would love to do that. It's really cool to see. That's the only experience I have at unbound, but I loved it. Win it by a couple hours. (laughs) The XL? Yeah. I was six overall, but yeah, I was the first woman. Yep. Yep. And I rode a mountain bike. (laughs) Yeah. It's long, but yeah, uh, yeah, leaving in the afternoon to ride overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. so cool. Nice. Well, I'd love to see you do that and just crush it. We will see. Um, thank you. I do appreciate that. Okay, so we'll wrap up with three very hard-hitting questions. One, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Two, hmm. what is the number one place you would like to ride that you never have? And three... Who is the number one person you would like to go for a bike ride with? Okay, one favorite place. Uh, I think the most beautiful places I've ridden are Kyrgyzstan and Alaska. Nice. So I'd say those two, but I'm most excited to ride in Switzerland again. Uh-huh, two uh-huh. place I've never ridden. I have always wanted to ride in Georgia, the country. Hmm. Uh, the huge mountains, like over yeah. 20,000 feet. Oh, dang. Um, but the, yeah, then it's like limited. You have to go there in the summertime because otherwise yep. the weather's crazy. Uh, I also really want to go for the race around Rwanda, yeah. which we were going to go to this past year. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. And then three f- person I want to ride with most is Rue, uh, my nice. girlfriend. Every That's day, awesome. every day that I get to. Yeah. Perfect. 
I dig it. Well, we're four minutes shy of an unofficial hour. Not that it needs to be an hour, but <laughs> I will let you go about your day. I appreciate the past hour. Um, yeah, hope to see you at one of the races sometime. Yeah, me too. I'd love it. Great nice. talking with you, Ted. All right. Awesome. Okay. Thanks so much, Lil. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Thank you, Lael, for taking the time for this episode. Once again, if you, dear listener, are hankering for more, head over to my YouTube channel and find the webinar that I host with Lael and Renee Hare's tire titan, Jan Heine. Highly, highly entertaining stuff over there. Okay, that's it for me. That is all for now. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm.